Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 293. I'm Douglas Wilson, and I am very grateful that you decided to join us. So, I want to talk a little bit about generations and personalities. Generations and personalities. This is a combination of observing that 20-year-old males, let's say, have certain things in common, and insurance companies can tell you what some of those things are that they have in common. Uh, 20-year-old males who have red convertibles have certain things in common, and insurance companies can tell you about those things as well. So, just being in a particular age cohort affects your disposition, your reaction to things, your outlook, and so on. But generations also have personalities, which means that a 20-year-old in a in my age cohort, I'm a boomer, 20-year-olds are, well, in 1973, when I was 20, all my 20-year-old peers had certain things in common with all 20-year-olds of every era. And yet, in 2023, uh, we've got a new crop of 20-year-olds who share certain things in common with the 20-year-olds of my generation, but they also have a distinctive personality. And this is what we're getting at when we talk about uh, the differences between boomers and millennials or the silent generation. The silent generation would be those who were little kids during the Second World War. And then boomers are those born after the war. And, and so when we're talking about Gen X or the millennials or uh, different age cohorts, the millennials have certain things in common with people of that age throughout all history, but they also have certain things in common with one another that are not the case. So it's not the, it's not the case that a 20-year-old is going to be, today, is going to be exactly the same as a 20-year-old in 1973, because you've got two personalities going. You've got the individual personality and the individual traits of a male who's young, whose body's full of testosterone, but you also have the epic or the age or the generation that the person is living in. And so this is this is a line of thought that occurred to me when I um oh I've I've talked about these books um uh here on the podcast, but The Fourth Turning by by Neil Howe and Strauss, the other is the other guy. I think it's William Strauss. Back in the nineties they wrote a book called The Fourth Turning, which analyzed the cycles of history, and each cycle of history is a thing called a seculum, and the seculum is the length of one long human life, somewhere between eighty and a hundred years. And each one of these, each one of these uh, secula, are divided into four. There's the uh, spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And the fourth turning is the winter. The fourth turning is the crisis period. And so it's with remarkable regularity. And I'm, I'm reading um, Neil Howe's follow-up book now called The Fourth Turning is Here. 
Uh, back in the 90s, they predicted the fourth turning. They, they predicted that things would start to go awry uh, in 2008, which is exactly what happened, or that something significantly big and bad was going to happen in 2008, which is what happened. And they also, he also says that this fourth turning period, is we've got about 10 more years, seven to 10 more years to go in this um, crisis period, right? But if we if we go back, if if you say the seculum is eighty years or so, if you go from our crisis back to the previous crisis, that's the Second World War. If you go from the Second World War eighty years back, that's the Civil War. If you go from the Civil War back eighty years, that's the um, American War for Independence. And it's quite interesting because he takes this Anglo-American cycle all the way back to the war. <laughs> Wars of the Roses between the houses of Lancaster and York, where we've been in this pattern. We've been in this cycle for quite some time. Well, the point here is that different eras shape the personality of that age cohort in a particular way. Boomers do have certain things in common with one another. Uh, They came of age in a time of great prosperity and wealth. They came of age when there was no no, uh, pressing immediate danger to the nation. The great battle had just been fought and won by their fathers, and so on. So if if you are growing up in uh, an age of safety and affluence, that is going to affect you in ways that you will not be affected, in ways different than what you will be affected if you're growing up in a time of crisis. So glib dismissals of people, okay, boomer, or man, that's just a millenn- another millennial not showing up for work. Glib dismissals of people simply based on that uh, catch-all phrase are not um, not being careful enough. Always will be God. So continuing on with the podcast, episode 293, and we've been looking at all the various Greek words for various sins in the New Testament, and we've been calling our study Martiology. This week, we come to the word for pleasure or lust, and that word is hedne. We obviously get hedonism from it. Okay? Hedne. H-E-D-O-N-E. Hedne. Think he done it. <laughs> he done. All right. Hedne. It's rendered as pleasures or lusts. But the context of the places where the translation is pleasures show that the reference is to illicit pleasures or pleasures that have something wrong with them, or pleasures that have overflowed the banks. In the following instances, the pleasures are all hanging out in bad company. These are not good pleasures. And that which fell among the thorns are they, which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. That's Luke 8.14. Luke 8.14. So the seed is sown among the thorns, and the pleasures of this life choke it out. Obviously, not a good thing. Here's another one. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Notice here, various lusts or divers' lusts and pleasures are right next to each other. Okay? Then, 2 Peter 2.14, And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes. 
sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. All right, so this is the thing that they take pleasure in here is pleasure in rioting in the daytime. And then there's one place where in James, where the word is rendered simply as lusts. This is two places in, in James 4, verse 1, and James 4, verse 3. I'll, I'll read this, skipping over verse 2. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, there it is, hedene, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Okay, so famously, um, John Piper has argued for a Christian hedonism where we, we find our highest pleasure, our greatest pleasure in God, in delighting in God, and he obviously qualifies it in all the appropriate ways. But the word that we get hedonism from in the New Testament only shows up in a negative light. Now, of course, don't mistake me um, as trying to, I'm not trying to pour cold water in the, in the soup of your pleasures because God is the one who made all the different foods in the world taste as good as they do. God is the one who invented sexual pleasure. God is the one who gave us glorious sunsets. God is the one who designed us such that a foot rub feels really, really good. So obviously, pleasure is not bad in and of itself. In Psalm 16, pleasure at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. But the particular Greek word hedone, hedonism, is in the New Testament a negative thing. God don't never change. He's God. So, my book review for podcast episode 293, my book review, this go around, is called The Poetic Edda. The Poetic Edda. E-D-D-A. E-D-D-A. Now, this is for you um, Norse mythology nerds. Uh, I'm reading, I'm, I'm um, a good way through this book, and, I'll, and, and it, let me tell you how this came about. I have a barber who is a worshiper of Thor, and uh, I was chatting with him about it. And I've read some various uh, Norse uh, things. For example, I've read the Song of the Volsungs and that kind of thing. And my barber uh, recommended the poetic Edda. So I wanted to be able to talk about this intelligently with him. So I ordered a copy and I've been working my way through it. And I've chatted with him a little bit about it. And it's quite striking as a uh, sacred book. It is not anything like the Bible. Nothing like it. And this, and, and this fellow, that my barber, is um, serious about it. He has, he's got an altar to Thor in his house, and he's read a bunch of this stuff. Uh, over, he, you know, he's devoted to it. And in this, there's no salvation. There's no savior. And ultimately, there's no guilt. There's conflict, and there, there are fights, and there are, there's some horrendous things done, but there's no real sense of overarching guilt. And I'm, I'm struck, and I've, I've had the same sensation working through Beowulf or reading in Beowulf, where this is what Christlessness looks like. This is what it tastes like. At the end of Beowulf, there is this hard granite despair 
nowhere to go. They're trapped in a cycle of blood vengeance. And in uh, the poetic Eddas that I'm currently reading, uh, they're, they're not tired of it yet. And in Beowulf, they're plainly tired of it, and they're wanting, wanting out. There doesn't seem to be any desire to escape in the poetic Edda. There is, the, you would have bittersweet, um, there, it's a series, I'm <laughs> not telling you that much about the book, right? Uh, it's a series of related poems, and the poems, are, it's, not, it's not like a, a, a saga that goes, that tells one story from beginning to end. It's snippets from Norse mythology and tales, tall tales, stories of the gods, stories of um, people who were resisting the gods, you know, that sort of thing. And it is basically striking to me, if you, if you want a really good glimpse of how much, how much difference the Christian faith has made, this would be a good, a good way to peer into that. The Poetic Edda, uh, various poets. Mm-hmm. 